My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a daily podcast that's built to get you quick hits of the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast, and I'm your host, Dwayne Default. And if this is your first time listening to the show, first off, I appreciate you being here. Hopefully, you're able to take something away from today's episode and take action on it and see some positive results. Also, if this is your first time, we've got two formats of the show. First format is your traditional interview style where I get to sit down with some top experts from the SaaS industry where we get to dive into things like go-to-market, sales, leadership, customer success, product, really anything that encompasses go-to-market for B2B SaaS. And I get to learn from them while you get to sit along for the ride and just take notes and hopefully learn something as well. And then the other format of the show is uh, what you're hearing today. This is a solo episode where you're hearing from me, where I get extremely tactical on advice and instruction to where you can take something from today's show and be able to act on it right afterwards, whatever it is, hopefully you're able to take something from it. And so if you have suggestions about what you want to hear, any questions around something that we do talk about on the show, uh, but I will, I will emphasize that these things aren't just top topics or strategies that I pull out of thin air or that I get from other social media or articles or courses or other podcasts. These are things that come from directly working in the business, either my own personal business through Selling SaaS Academy or through the customers and clients that we work with directly that are in B2B SaaS, as well as uh, the 15 years that I've had of of sales experience in tech. So I want to make sure that you understand that. So that way it's not just some clickbaity keyword stuff that you get from a blog article. I'm a salesperson at heart, but I have learned all the different skill sets necessary to be able to bring these things to you and they're tried, true, and tested. So everything that we bring on these solo episodes have been things and results from actually implementing them. So I don't want I don't want you to assume that I'm doing a podcast or an instructional podcast from another episode that I did. Uh, These things that we're talking about on these solo episodes when it's just me are things that I run across from clients that I've worked with, either sales leadership or revenue growth strategies with other SaaS companies. And they are things that we talk about every single day. We're implementing or iterating and constantly trying to prove on for ourselves and the clients that we work with through Selling SaaS Academy. Uh, So again, these things are straight from the world of SaaS, straight from the systems, the sales call, the marketing campaigns, the leadership development stuff that we do. And so I want to make sure that these things are as tactical and simple as it can be. So that way you can take action on them in your business, because that's the ultimate goal of Selling SaaS Podcast. Without further delay, I want to jump into the episode. So today we're going to talk about sales and data. And you could easily chalk that up to another episode about RevOps, which is fine by me because RevOps is extremely important, especially in B2B SaaS, but it's not not RevOps. We're going to talk about why is having a data, not even data background, but why is having experience or knowledge or skill sets in data and data analytics from a sales leader perspective, really important and probably one of the most important things you need to do outside of learning how to you know, lead a sales team. But you've got to be able to understand certain aspects about what's happening inside of the business so you know how to be an effective sales coach or sales leader so you can drive growth in the organization instead of just 
focusing on one or two things that are cliche and overdone in the industry. So one of the things that I've done on the show is a few weeks back, depending on when you're listening to this, I did an episode where we talked about how to figure out if you've got product market fit issues and then how to use uh, one of our go-to-market funnel audit worksheets from one of our magnets that are on our website to kind of figure that out. And we're going to dive in a little bit deeper on that to help you see where to take that conversation in your organization or your team once you figure out some of the metrics and conversions that happen through your customer lifecycle. So as much fun as it is to do an audit, and a lot of sarcasm there, in reality, there these types of worksheets or spreadsheets or reports or whatever you want to call them are extremely powerful for your business. They're not just for a one-time high-level view. They're not meant to be like an IRS audit. They're, they're meant to be an integral part of how you pull insights from your organization, how you make decisions and what you take action on and when. So sounds like a mouthful because it really is. And you have to have multiple layers of these things because you have to. That's why the go to market funnel audit is free on our website, because what it'll do is it gives you a high level uh, view of where you need to dive in further inside of your customer lifecycle. So it gives you insights on how things are performing in your marketing funnel, how things are performing in your sales funnel. And then we have a completely different one for customer success because it's just different, different type of conversion that you have to look at. And then we go into churn and all that stuff. But for the sake of this particular worksheet, it's focused on the front two stages of your customer lifecycle, which is marketing and sales. So these things, these worksheets, these reports, this data, you really have to be looking at these things on a regular basis at a minimum once a month at I'd say at a minimum, maybe once a quarter, I would guess. And then at a maximum once a week, but you adjust the time period that you look at these things or you run these numbers based on your sales cycle and your number of exposures for your marketing and sales cycle. So if you've got a, if you're a product led growth company and you've got a two week trial and your sales cycles are roughly three weeks, then you're going to want to be looking at this funnel analysis, we can call it at least once a month. And depending on how many different channels and, and marketing campaigns and sales conversations or your sales strategy, you can be doing it once, once a week too. There is a version of this worksheet or this analysis that you do on a per rep basis. Like each sales rep has their own conversion worksheet that you can get from us too, that helps really break it down to that detail. So you have your top line, then you can go into the individual department and then you can go into the individual rep, but that's for a different conversation. What I want to do is I want to talk about why it's important to to have this type of mindset and this process inside of your business. And so again, breaking it down in sales, I've, I've talked about having two pipelines and I've talked about it pretty extensively. And with a lot of the clients I've worked with, a lot of groups and webinars and boot camps and all that stuff, uh, some free stuff on the website too, that's under the metric manager. But, but why, why do I talk about the two pipelines? I get this question all the time. And the other one is, why don't we know about this or why wasn't this talked about before? Well, it's like, in sales, we tend to lean on only one pipeline or one set of conversions, which is your opportunity pipeline. The opportunity pipeline is just it measures deal velocity, conversions, late stage stall outs, all that stuff. Really important to have that stuff dialed in, but we miss out on all the leading indicators, all the things that cause that, the cause and effect side of, of the world and uh, physics and all that wonderful stuff. We're missing out on tracking, measuring and optimizing the front part of the entire sales cycle, which is the second 
pipeline that we need to be measuring, which is all about sales activity. And the reason, the reason why that's really important to do, because you have to understand what impacts the thing you're trying to impact. So you have to go to the immediate metric or the immediate activity before whatever it is you're trying to improve on. And so that's why it's important to understand what the data is telling you and how to track the data and why it's important for it to be accurate to as close as you can possibly get it, right? So the you can't be shooting from the hip or have gut feeling in sales, especially nowadays. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, you can get away with that and get some home runs and some base hits and you know win some deals with that type of thinking. But with how scarce it is to be first to market early to market and get that early product market fit and grow and scale in the first few months with how challenging it is and how saturated the market is. You really have to get tactical and scientific with your approach to things. You can't just be over, over general or overly generalistic, I guess, for big words when it comes to your instructions and your strategies and what you're, you're putting your focus on. And you have to get down to the most basic of metrics so you can see the simple things that you can do to make the large impact. Because if you think about it, if your OKR or if your goal is to add X amount of revenue to your company this month, think about all the things you have to do in order to add revenue, in order to sell a product. That involves every department from engineering to product, customer success, service, marketing, sales, uh, and all all the in-between departments just to help do that one thing. And you have to distill it down to what are the actionable controllables that the teams can do on a daily basis, how often and when they need to do them at to what extent. You have to understand those things if you want to impact the larger thing, which is why OKR frameworks and Oaks and all that stuff exists because it, it's supposed to help you distill it down to what are the controllables. Um, and we're not going to get into goal setting and all that stuff for different. That's a different podcast that I've already done. But that's why those things exist, because it's meant to get you to look at the most basic of fundamentals that are tied to that larger goal, larger outcome. And that's, again, why it's really important to have that data mindset or that RevOps mindset in your sales or your go-to-market organization. And mind you, this may frustrate a lot of people because I know a lot of people in in this part of the industry. I don't believe RevOps is a, is a role. If you've got a, a, a sales ops person that their sole responsibility is to run reports and distribute leads and build reports or whatever, then you, you, you've got a glorified AI. Like they, they need, and if they're, let me back up. If you have a sales ops person that is just building reports and redistributing leads, then, and they're not providing you the insights we're going to talk about in this episode, then you, you've got an issue. Like you've, you've got a, a salary that you have to pay for. That's going to be really hard to justify to anyone that's asking because everything needs to be able to get connected to an ROI to some degree. And I know there's plenty of arguments of why that's not important, but you can't shoot from the hip when it comes to optimizing your go-to-market cycle. You just, you can't. And not having the data mindset, not having a perspective on how to do that, why, what to pull from that data is kind of one major reason why we've resulted in a lot of the layoffs and companies going under and the growth at all cost mindset not really working because we're not taking the time to build the infrastructure. We're not taking the time to understand our systems, to understand the data and the metrics and the conversions and why things happen the way they do and what to optimize and what lever to pull and when to do it. It all feels like a giant mystery or some magic puzzle that no one can really figure out. So we're just going to go with what we know. We're going to go with what's worked in the past. Well, great if you're still in that same situation, same company, same product, same environment 
environment. But if if you're in a different startup, in a different market, in a different product, in a different team and different pricing, and you can't use the same general strategies that you did when you were at that $100 million company, when you're trying to develop a strategy to just get something into the market, trying to establish product market fit or get right out of that. So it's a completely different strategy that does that. So Either way, if you don't have the data, if you don't have the metrics, if you don't understand your go-to-market conversion, then you don't know what to scale. And I'll get into a couple of examples, but that's why it's important to have such a deep relationship between data and sales and making sure your sales leader thinks like a a CFO, thinks like a data person. They have to understand both sides of the equation to actually grow the company. I've seen way too many times where you have a VP of sales or a CRO or how about this, a first time VP of sales or a first time CRO come in and they're just gung ho about hiring new sales reps and uh, uh, pushing the pedal to the metal and getting lists and doing outbound campaigns and dialing and smiling and dialing like all these things. They've got 10, 15 sales reps in the first six months and they're crushing top line, but there's no data to show that stuff is working. So all you companies that are trying to chase a series A or a series B, if you don't have that documented evidence of successful outreach and successful conversions and, and this is our cost of acquisition and here's our convert, like all of that, then you're, you're going to struggle to get those fundings. And frankly, if your primary goal or the North star you're working towards is to go get additional round of funding, I think priorities are massively skewed because it should be to grow a profitable business just, just because funding exists to where it should fuel hiring. If you don't have product market fit, if you don't understand your conversions, if you don't understand your cost of acquiring a customer or even a cost of acquiring a lead, then that money is going to be to dig you out of a hole than it is to scale a repeatable system that you're supposed to be building. So that's one of the big differences that I've seen in the last couple of years is people that aren't the companies that don't take the time to understand the the relationship between data and sales. Um, You can call it RevOps if you want to, But the companies that don't take the time to build the infrastructure, dial in the systems are the ones that need that funding to have a bailout instead of a growth lever. So then you can take that as you will. If it, if it frustrates you or pisses you off, that's fine. Unfollow me. I don't give it. I don't, I don't care. Or it doesn't affect me that much because I, I know I've seen both sides of it. I've had both the conversations to where it's a bootstrap company that we scaled and sold for $320 million versus companies that got, you know, millions of dollars in a seed round that, are struggling to establish product market fit and they're running out of money because they hired 10 sales reps to help them launch and find product market fit. And they never took the time to build out this system. And they joined the unfortunate group of people that had to lay others off. So both sides of the equation coming here, like I said, these, these tactical shows could be hard to hear, or hard to listen to. And there may be some harsh realities that you're having to face. But it, like I mentioned, is these, this is directly from inside the industry. This isn't just from some cool article, some VC company decided to write about like, this is real, real experience. I don't know how else to say it. Um, so I want to get into a couple of examples uh, and I don't, I don't mean to rant on a couple of these things. I try to keep these episodes short and sweet, but I want to under, I want to help you understand two main things, two main outcomes or attributes that, are related to understanding data 
and its relationship with sales and vice versa. So I'm going to get into a direct example. I won't name names just because I want to save face and all that wonderful stuff. Sometimes I do name names because I have the permission of the companies that I'm working with. Um, but in this case, probably not because it, it's not going to put it in a good light. <laughs> so bear with me. So I was talking with the sales leader of this organization who was responsible for prospecting new business. Um, and they had they were responsible for marketing. They were also responsible for closing the deals. And they're also responsible for trying to manage all the data behind it. So this one person, mind you, was like their own little CRO. They, they, they had to do all of the outreach. They had to build all the assets, the marketing assets to do the outreach. They had to then dial the phone. They had to log everything inside of the CRM. So we don't need to call out the obvious issue with that. <laughs> Let's just get into the data side of it. And also in the same organization, 95, close to 95% of the resources were dedicated to the professional services um, and working with customers. So this was an enterprise type of sale, six multiple six-figure contracts that are being done with one sales rep, mind you. Like they, they do one to two deals a month at max, long sales cycles, multi-threaded conversations and all that stuff. But it, so it was a lot to handle, a lot to juggle for this one individual to try to not only decide and implement and execute on the strategy to go and get more customers, but then have the conversations, dial the phone, stay focused, close the deals and go through implementation with them. So in this situation, obviously they want to grow. They want to grow their business. They want to be profitable. They want to bring on more customers. And the sales leader wanted to get better. They started to see the writing on the wall, not because they wanted to leave the organization, but because they just wanted to improve. They understood that, hey, if I want to have a better career, better life and a better situation, I need to get people to help me. I need to hire people. I need to teach them. I need to scale customer acquisition. Like that's, that was the realization of the year prior to us talking. And I actually talked to this individual six months before this conversation and gave them some instructions, did a consultation with them and was like, Hey, you know, you're not really a great fit for our services right now. Here's some homework. Here are some things you can work on, some things you can implement and do. Let's, let's have this conversation in four or five months and figure out where you're at. And so we had that conversation and they, they're much better off. They're not where they could be, but that's why we're having the conversation again. So that's some of the context leading up to what I want to walk you through. But when I go through my consult, right? So when we're, when selling SaaS, uh, we are a, a revenue growth agency. I don't even know what we really call it because we do, we do the whole gamut, cover the entire go-to-market phase as well as the back-end rev op stuff. And so when we do that, we really try to cover all the primary basis and understand their situation, how they got to that situation. Why do they not want to be in that situation anymore? And what are they going to do to get out of that situation? Right? So following our own sales process, we implemented these companies. We ask them, where do their leads come from? What is the activity that goes into each lead? Meaning, do they have any nurture campaigns for SMB leads that come in? Any assets, right? Do they? What do they have out there to uh, uh, acquire or you know engage, capture the leads? And then once they have those leads, how do they follow up with them? What is the sales process? When do they reach out to them? What do they say to these leads when they do get them on the phone? And then when they do get them on, like, what is the sales process? What is the sales cycle? What are the steps? And then how do you, other things like, how do you define an opportunity? What are your, and then the biggest one was like, what is your conversion rates in your go-to-market cycle? Where do your best leads come from? Why are they the best leads? And what is the conversion rate through that part of the funnel? And then how is that same process done in sales. 
right? What are the conversion rates from new lead to opportunity to customer, right? Simplifying it a little bit. And the problem was they really couldn't answer those questions. They're all over the place. They had 30 different lead sources or maybe more inside of Salesforce. Um, There wasn't any real focus to where they're getting their leads or what the process was to go and capture or acquire or create demand in that space. And the issue there was, is you can see it on their face that they wanted to grow. They wanted to get to that next level or just have a level to leap off of. Right. So it, it, it was grossly apparent that they just needed a foundation. They just needed some level of foundation in their go-to-market strategy. Right. And even when I talked to their biz ops team, because we, we tried to get input from all different areas, you know, it's a full on sales process. We want to make sure we're a good fit and we can actually help them. They do a lot of the data analysis in other areas of the business, but not same level of attention being paid go to market side, which is really interesting. And I find that a lot with technical type of products or when you're in a, 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 consulting or maybe like a managed services provider type of thing. Still technically SaaS, but it's service as a solution. And they're not heavily focused on getting new customers because they tend to have their customers for a very long time. And so there's no consistent customer acquisition strategy because they run a risk of not being able to handle or maintain a ton of new customers every month. And so the fulfillment side of this type of business is very challenging for them to meet. But what that ends up doing is it prevents the focus from being on the go-to-market side so they have no data. So long story short, giving you the context there, when I'm asking them the questions of where do they feel like their biggest lever is, And why do they feel that way? What are the things they've been doing up to this point to grow the business, to acquire customers? None of those questions could really be answered with any clarity. Broken sentences and descriptions of stuff of, you know, we're going to work with this incubator. We're going to have these, you know, emails set up and we're going to do this outreach from this list. But there was no, no data to support those things being successful. It was all ideas from either the founder or things that they heard work or something that kind of worked before. And they're putting all this attention and effort on these things. And the, the willingness to go through the process to build that, to go through the friction of just implementing things like that, I applaud that because a lot of people just won't do it. Uh, and their willingness to test things and run experiments and all that stuff is great. And the unfortunate side was there was no answer to what could be a clear win for them in the first three to four, maybe six months of working with them. And we quickly realized that in order to answer those questions, to get them into a better position to scale or not even scale, because scale is extremely relative, but just to grow efficiently, to have a consistent source of not only leads, but opportunities that the salesperson at the time and eventually the sales team can work without a ton of struggle and a a high cost. That's the other thing too, is they current without having this level of data without having this type of tracking, understanding the cost of acquisition was next to impossible because all they had was just a number that they would spend to acquire leads and then whatever the revenue was on the back end. So there wasn't anything around the cost of acquisition per channel which was very challenging to try to try to work with them on because 
there wasn't ability to optimize. You can do a lot of general things and get some basic wins maybe, but to really optimize, to really bring value and really get them to the point to where they know exactly what they need to do and how to do it, that was going to take a lot of time. And so in this situation, the number one, how do you say, piece of advice or instruction homework that we gave them is just simply start tracking the basics. Simplifying lead sourcing on the front end, whether it's a manual select from the sales rep, or if it's an automatic select on the form that gets filled out when they do download the asset, but then also just logging a phone call, just log the phone call. As simple as that, log a text, log the email, log the, the, the meeting, the, the discovery, the demo, the follow-up, like log the outcome of those things, not just that the phone was dialed, but what happened on that call? Was it a connected call that led to a discovery meeting set? Was it an unanswered call? Was it a, a poor, was it the wrong number? Those things matter. Same thing with meetings. Was What type of meeting was it? Was it a discovery? Was it a demo? Was it an executive overview? Was it the pricing presentation? Was it contracting? Was it the implementation? And did they show up to it? All of, the, all of those things matter, like all of them. It may seem like overkill to someone who's not currently tracking that information, but you want to do that level of tracking even on the opportunity pipeline stages because that data is what enables you as the business leader to make better decisions on how you allocate your resources because you need to know what's working. You need to know what's not working. Where do you need to put more money? Where do you need to hire people to help or to do better in or to scale but you don't know if you're not tracking that. And the crazy part is I get the argument constantly from sales teams. Like we don't have the time to do that. Well, you don't have the time because you, you think it's going to be a lot harder than it is when it takes three extra seconds to click a button. But the problem is they don't have it set up in a way that makes it efficient. And then the other side is there's hundreds of tools out there that are designed to help create sales efficiency when it comes to data, like legitimately. If you've got a calling tool, for example, like AirCall has a deep integration with HubSpot. Hey, love that connection. Half of that stuff's already done. All you have to do is dial the phone. And so by not, two things, by not understanding and implementing the connection between data and sales, you're missing out on a ton of data and a ton of the ability to optimize and truly become efficient. And the other side of it too is like you're, you're missing out on further growth just by limiting the ability for your sales team and marketing team to execute faster and more effective. So there's a two-sided double-edged sword that's happening that you don't know is happening because you're not having those questions. You're not having the conversations. You're not talking to companies that know what they're doing. Um, and I get it. The, the market is heavily saturated with all these coaches and consultants and companies about doing all these things for you. And so it's hard to hear or see what truly is valuable and is going to add to your business. So again, data and sales have to have an extremely close and connected relationship because of two reasons. And so these are the two primary reasons that I was hoping to get to about 10 or 15 minutes ago before we went into that example. But using that example as, or the, the, the prospect or customer um, that we've worked with and been working with as the primary example, um, want to give kind of two main reasons why you want to have that relationship as close as possible when it comes to data and sales, or if you want to call it RevOps, that's fine too. First and foremost, when you have the data tracked, measured, 
collected, whether it's done manually by a sales ops person or it's automatically set up from the systems that were built on the back end, it shows you where the problems are. That is the one of the most important outcomes to build for when it comes to establishing your back end systems for sales and revenue. First and foremost, it shows you where the problems are, or at least it should. And if it's not showing you, then it's set up incorrectly or you're reporting on the wrong things. But every time I've done a deep audit on a business, their go to market and their sales process, it was it, the answer was clear. Like it was obvious to me, at least where the gap was or the hole was in their funnel or their sales cycle. And it'll help answer questions like I got a comment a few weeks ago where it was literally like, oh, wow, we seem to have a really low conversion on MQL to opportunity. I wonder why. But the data that you collect shows you that and then allows you to take action or dive into that specific scenario or situation in your business. So without having the correct measuring strategies, you really can't confidently say what you're doing is the thing you should be doing, right? Like using the example of before, choosing to spend time to do cold calling from a list to this marketplace, how do you know that's the best thing for your business? It is a thing. It is a strategy that you could use that has been done successfully in other areas. But how do you know that's a thing for your business? What if the thing for your business was just asking a couple of your existing customers that you spend so much time and money on servicing? What if you had a different role in the organization where it was an account manager or a customer development representative, which is the equivalent of a CSM type SDR that only, but anyways, but what if that was the golden goose? What if all that person did was call into your top accounts once a quarter or worked with the CSM to get a referral? And then all of a sudden you're, previously unaffected sales strategy was now massively effective and took half the amount of time, if not less, and closed more customers. But you never know because you're not tracking it. You're not looking at the data. You're not pulling the stuff up. You don't know there is a problem because you're not looking for problems. It sounds terrible, but it's uh, there's a saying by, I think it's like, Ben Horowitz or, or someone, I forget exactly who says it, but it's like only the paranoid survive. Maybe it was Steve Jobs, but it's like you have to unpack those things. You have to be constantly looking at the data from your business to be looking for potential holes. You can't just expect holes to show up or gaps to show themselves. And frankly, if, if a gap in your business, especially the go-to-market revenue side, if a gap in your go-to-market cycle is showing its ugly face, it's way late <laughs> to be taking action on solving that. Uh, it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of pain, a lot of money to solve it at that point. When you have these things set up properly and implemented and the strategy to look at them on a regular basis, you catch things before they unfold and become problems. It's And we'll go into other things in other episodes of how to do that and what that means, but it's all about tracking it and then defining what success looks like from these certain things and experiments and all that stuff and making sure you've got that clearly defined different conversation for a different day. But again, one of the primary reasons why you want to have these things connected and looked at regularly and accurate is it shows you where the problems are or where they could be, which to me sounds like a magic globe or a crystal ball for your business, right? So you want to set it up so you can have your little magic, your crystal ball in your go-to-market cycle. Number two, the other, the second reason why it's extremely important to have that relationship dialed in between sales and data is it makes the solution obvious. 
I, it may sound like I'm repeating myself from the first bullet point, but the first one is just, it shows you where the problems are. And then the second part is that it makes it obvious on what, what you need to do. If the only way, the only reason why that doesn't happen is because you don't know what you don't know. And you're not asking questions to understand what you don't know. If you've never been in sales, if you've never ran a sales cycle, and it's fine if you haven't, I know thousands of people that haven't. 90% of tech founders are from a technical background and haven't sold, which is totally fine. And that's not a bad thing, but I'm saying just learn to ask better questions when it comes to analyzing your sales process, your go-to-market process. But when you know what it should look like, best practices, rules of thumb, whatever you want to say, there's tons of them out there, then it makes the answer really obvious as to what you need to do. Okay. So I understand the argument that you can't track everything. I don't agree with it, but I understand the argument. Like there's, you know, certain limits on attribution and all that stuff. And some things take time and it's manual and automated and all that. Some of it's overkill. Like I get it, but you have to have the belief that you need to track absolutely everything and you decide what to do with it afterwards. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I would rather track everything possible and not need it than need it and not have it. I'd rather track a year's worth of email or text message or, or inbound connected calls or whatever, and it not be included in the sales playbook because it didn't lead to any tangible results. But the other side of it is, is now I know it's not what's going to go in there. So that get, puts me closer to what is going to be the repeatable playbook. So there's the other side of it too, that we're all looking for what is the answer, but also being shown what is not the answer is just as good because then you don't have to do that thing anymore. Or you already know you tried that thing and it didn't work. And then here's why. So when you have someone else come onto your organization or even have a coach or consultant or incubator or mastermind, whatever the hell you want to call it, and they're suggesting all of these things, you can either A, turn and run or B, dive in a little bit deeper to see what you did was wrong. But if you don't do that, then you don't know to look for that. And you could be driving right into a forest fire with like a little hose as your protectant, not knowing it. So track everything you possibly can. And if you need a list of everything you can track, just let us know. And we're happy to put a playbook together of all the metrics. But if you go to the metric manager, if you go to themetricmanager.com, not just metric manager, you can get that playbook. It walks through a whole bunch of metrics. But if you also go to sellingsassplaybook.com, not trying to overly plug this stuff, but if you go to sellingsassplaybook.com, um, there is a free training on their video training with assets and worksheets and spreadsheets and all that stuff that'll walk you through these things as well. So again, track everything you possibly can and figure out what to do with it after the fact. Just get really good at tracking all of the metrics and the data and the activity, whether it's through marketing or sales or on success, because that stuff will help you fine tune and develop what data is going to go into your sales playbook. Okay. So again, the second thing is it makes the, makes the solution obvious. And so I want to give you a couple of examples of what that means. And I mentioned most of the time when I have to give the news to sales teams that they have to start tracking every single activity, not just the stage changes and opportunity pipelines, but they have to now start tracking every phone call they make to a prospect or to a contact that's associated with a potential lead. Um, so every sales activity, they have to start tracking that. All I get are complaints. Just they're just bitching and complaining like, oh, it's going to take so much time. La, la, la. Right. It's going to take too long. Well, let me break it down very simply for you. And I mentioned it before. There are three options, three outcomes with this. Either you can keep missing quota and eventually make that argument at another company. So there's that. 
Two, you can go through the minor discomfort of clicking a button every time. It should only take you a few seconds. And honestly, by the time you do it for a week, it'll become second nature and you won't have to worry about it taking longer anymore because you'll have a better process in place. And then two or three, you can just get a tool that actually does it for real. There are hundreds of directly connected API tools that'll connect your calling tool to your CRM tool and it'll magically sync up all of those calls. And if you're not comfortable using your personal phone or an app or whatever, then I don't know what to tell you. That's the modern world. Suck it up. Like you use Facebook just as much as you do when you work. So don't, don't care. Like if, if you want to make money in sales, you have to learn how to, you know, make quote unquote sacrifices when it comes to using certain things. Like I guarantee you're using things on your company computer that probably shouldn't be there. You know, it's the same concept. If you're driving to the office, anyways, don't have that argument today. But look, if you're in that camp where you think it takes too long to just log your sales activity, then you've got only a couple options. You can make that argument at another company and work for them, or you can just click a button. Like it's not that it's not that hard, but here's why you need to do that you need to know where to spend your time. So if you're in sales and you're listening to this, or if you're a sales leader, or if you've got salespeople on your team and they're constantly complaining about the leads are terrible, we're not making quota, we're not selling anything, where deals are getting stalled out and all that stuff. How are you as their leader supposed to give them advice and coach them on how to fix it if you don't know what to fix or how to fix the thing because they're not tracking the thing. Okay. Like, look, if you need better opportunities or let's just say more opportunities because better is relative or very subjective. If you need more opportunities, what do you need to do? Well, what is the thing immediately before a new opportunity? What is that thing? What is that? What do you do? Okay. In your situation, is it a demo? Do the majority of your opportunities come from a completed demo. Okay. So then what do you think needs to happen? You do more demos. Sounds simple. It's because it is. Okay. If you want to do more demos, what do you need to do? Well, let's simplify it. How do you get more? How do you do more demos? Well, shit, we have more demos scheduled on the calendar. (laughs) Serious. We're getting rocket science here, folks. You schedule more demos. Okay. How do you get more scheduled demos? You have more connected calls. (laughs) Like it's not, it doesn't have to be overly complex. And then how do you get more connected calls? You, you said it, dial the phone more. But here's the part where this all breaks down. You only have so many hours in a day and you can only dial the phone so many times. And there's only so many prospects in a single day. Even if you have power dialers, which I don't recommend doing that in certain in a lot of situations. But even then, you can only do so much. So the of other leverage point is getting better. You take advantage, you become more effective on that connected call. You get more effective at dialing the phone. You get more effective at setting the demo or scheduling the demo by how you set the demo. And then you get more effective at demoing. So you get more opportunities and you get more effective at following up on those opportunities to close more customers. But guess what? If you don't track the data like we're talking about, if you don't know what your conversion from scheduled demo to demo completed, or if it's from connected call to connected set, or from number of whatever, if you don't know the conversions inside of your sales activity funnel, everything you suggest to do as a solution is a guess. It's probably a good one, but how do you know it's the right one? 
So when you track the things like I'm talking about, you can literally have a spreadsheet that says, huh, if you, if every sale, so 10 sales reps, 10 SDRs, if everyone made two more calls a day, you can extrapolate what that would be based on the numbers of the demos that would happen, of the opportunities that would happen, of the customers that would come in. But if you made everyone half a percent more effective on the same number of calls, then you can extrapolate the same thing, right? But this is where sales strategies fall apart because they only ever do number of calls and they just hire more sales reps. And then they hire more and tell them to dial the phone and put in the activity and, you know, dial, smile and dial power hours, but they're not spending enough time to figure out how to make their team more effective, why that's the answer, and then helping them understand how to figure that part out because they're not tracking those specific data points inside of the sales cycle. So they just add more people, which increases the overhead on the business, which decreases the margin that the company makes, which then leads to an ineffective growth strategy. Everyone's breaking even, board members are pissed off, leads to layoffs. And then we start over, right? So if you're on that argument, if you're on that camp to where tracking that level of sales data is unnecessary, I think it's unnecessary not to. You can't afford, even if you're a $100 million company, you could be much bigger or be much more profitable if you knew what actually worked, if you knew what good looks like, but you can't sit there and tell me that you know exactly what needs to be done on your team or in your role if you're a sales rep, if you're not tracking that. I, someone should be able to walk into your business, walk into your team, walk into your sales pipeline and ask, Hey, what's your conversion from this to this? What's the most effective thing that you're doing on a day-to-day basis as a sales rep, as a sales manager, as a, as a CEO, you should be able to answer that. And if you can't, then you're not measuring it correctly. If your answer is, Oh, we need more phone calls. Oh, we need more leads. Oh, we need more opportunities. Cool. Everyone else does too. But the difference between companies that make growing customers and revenue numbers their goal instead of a series B are things like this, which is why it's extremely important to prioritize setting up your foundations as early as you can so that you can track these things. So you know what works, you know what's effective and efficient. So when you plug in more people into the team, they're operating on that rather than just dial the phone more. Hopefully I'm making sense with this because I I am very disappointed in an industry that is built on data and process and efficiencies that is falling apart because we're not becoming efficient and built on process. We have ruined a a lot of belief in the SaaS industry because we're not following the thing that made it possible in the first place. So to wrap things up, it's a longer episode than I usually like to do for solo episodes, but as you can see, it's a topic of passion for me. I just, I talk to so many sales leaders that struggle with what to do next, how to help their team get quota, how to grow their business, how to not lose sleep every night because they're full of anxiety that they're going to get laid off, that the company is going to get the instruction. They're going to get the call from the board to lay off 75% of their go-to-market teams. And the answer is usually in the stuff we're talking about in this episode. I promise you. And if you have these things figured out, if you can, if you can look at a dashboard or a report or a spreadsheet or something that gives you this level of data and you can answer those questions and you're still not growing, you have product market fit issue. Like I cannot make it more simple 
when it comes to which levers you can pull in your business to grow and how to find them. So in in summation of all these things, so I appreciate you sticking around if you're still around with me. I get that RevOps data, all that stuff is annoying. And it's a mystery to a lot of companies. But look, I mentioned in the beginning, if you have a dedicated sales ops person and they aren't bringing you this kind of information or this kind of insights on a regular basis, then you've got a glorified list maker and they've got AI tools for that. And I'm not trying to cause more unemployment with this, but we need to, we need to be better than that. We, we need to be more curious in our businesses. If you want to call it paranoid, that's fine too. There is such thing as positive paranoia, um, which I feel like I'm just chocked full of. But <clears throat> you have two key outcomes of RevOps and data in your go-to-market structure for your business. Two, shows you where the holes are, then it makes the fix for those holes obvious to see. The main difference is just when and how you decide to execute on those things. Now, if you can, if you can leave anything, if you take anything from this conversation that we had today, I, I, it's a little bit longer than normal. So I apologize, but look, data provides the answers to questions about your business. You just have to know which questions to ask. Appreciate you sticking around and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 